0: Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to uh, Too Lazy to Write with me, your host, the real John Baker. You love my voice, huh? You think I have a silky, silky voice? I hope everyone's well before I go into uh, my voice and why I'm talking about my voice. Um, Yeah, I hope everyone's well. And again, uh, I'm going to remind you, vote November 3rd. Okay, so, like I said, uh, I think on Facebook, I'm going to go to a once-every-two-week deal with this. I think it's working out. I'm working on getting uh, a guest for for two weeks from now. And coming up this uh, weekend, this Friday, it is uh, Yom... I'm sorry, it's Rosh Hashanah. So I want to wish everybody, before I get to the end of this, uh, whoever, anyone who celebrates a very happy and healthy new year. Okay, so, today's guest... Um, You do not know, you may not know his name. I shouldn't say you do not know his name, but you may not know his name. But you definitely, definitely know his voice. Uh, I am interviewing, I interviewed, rather, from uh, his home in Los Angeles, (coughs) a gentleman by the name of Bob Bergen. Who's Bob Bergen, you might ask? Well, Bob Bergen uh, is a voiceover actor who has been doing the voices of Porky Pig and Tweety Bird, uh, Marvin the Martian, Speedy Gonzales... Um, I'm just, I'm on, um, a page here that lists all of his credits. Uh, he has, aside from those two voices, he has been in a number of movies, including The Lion King, Space Jam, uh, Hercules. He was also in Looney Tunes Back in Action, Lilo and Stitch, The Iron Giant, The Prince of Egypt, uh, The Emperor's New Groove, which he talks about, uh, for a little bit, Monsters Inc., Ice Age. I Ice Age the Meltdown, I should say. Horton, here's a who. You want me to keep going? I'm not going to. Look, what am I going to tell you about this guy? Uh, what you're going to discover, I should say, is, first of all, he is such a nice guy. He, I mean, he took time to talk to me. Um, we did it via Zoom, and it was a video Zoom. So right at the very beginning, he talks about these masks that he has hanging on his wall. Um, so that's right out of the gate. Super, super nice guy from St. Louis, Missouri. And if you stick around you're gonna hear porky pig do the uh, four questions uh from from uh, passover so you got to stick around for that because i'm not going to tell you where it's gonna be but enjoy it it was a real treat to talk to him bob bergen um and if you want to know more about him you can go to his website i'm going to say it at the end too but it's bobbergen.com it's that simple um and if you just google him you will find a ton of stuff on him on uh on wikipedia and another uh pages but enjoy it here it is it's my interview i did with bob bergen um the voice of uh well maybe part of your childhood or all of your childhood enjoy it oh my god it is so nice to meet you via uh,
1: back at you, my friend
0: method and what is going on behind you what's on that wall behind you so i collect life masks
1: okay so if you're a fan of old movies Hmm. That's uh, or that's Anthony Hopkins, Alfred Hitchcock, Jack Nicholson, Vincent oh, Price, yeah. Buster Keaton, Bella Lugosi, Robin Williams, uh, oh, Bob Hope. Uh, that is Boris Karloff, Cagney, Brando, and that these are not movie stars. That is Ringo, uh, uh, Paul McCartney, Ringo Store. Oh, that's um, where do you get the made, or or do you? I just bid. I bid on uh, on auction. Uh,
2: Oh, that's amazing.
1: Um, so you're in Los Angeles, right? I am
2: indeed. Yeah. Where are you? I'm in uh, Northern Virginia. Oh,
0: okay. All right. All right.
2: Yeah, I'm in Northern Virginia, and I hope you're safe, though, from the fires, I hope.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, right now, I mean, it's it, it's this is, this is what we do. This is what we live in. It's fire season, so.
2: Yeah, it's so weird that there's a whole other um, season now, like winter, spring, summer, fall, fire.
1: Well, it's been, I mean, I've been in LA for over 40 years. It's always been this way, but, uh, oh, really? you know, the, 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 the extent of them are pretty, uh, pretty crazy.
2: So, um, if you don't mind, the first time I, I had, um, met you, I guess, was on Gilbert's podcast when you were with Rob Paulson. Oh yeah. And, um, I was so fascinated by, uh, what you guys do. And um, I wanted to talk to you about your career as a as a voiceover actor, which is astonishing. I, I have your your uh, voice chaser page in front of me, and it goes on and on.
1: Oh well, I think that's probably even outdated. But but um, but yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Um,
2: so how did it begin? As a as a boy, I'm going to be like I know what I'm talking about. As a boy growing that's up. That's okay. I do the same
1: thing. I've got my I've got my uh, my desktop over here. So every time ta- every once in a while especially when I work with private students, I'll be like, I'm not ignoring you, it's over here. So that's no problem. For sure. So as a boy growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. how did it all begin? Uh, you just said it. I was a boy growing up in St. Louis, Missouri and I was enamored by cartoons and voices and I just wanted to do voices for cartoons. And I'm
2: guessing Mel Blanc would have been an inspiration?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he was the only person of his uh, generation who got screen credit, but that was by design um he had asked for a raise back in the 40s and they didn't give him one and he said well can i have sole screen credit and they said well that doesn't cost us anything sure and it put him on the map you know he became a celebrity so um because his name was in the credits i know who he was but i as a kid i could hear that um and i could tell that uh there was one person doing all these voices i could just kind of hear it okay there was, a, there was a common denominator in the sound and I was a kid I was like five six years old and I could hear that there was that common denominator in the sound
2: okay and now you've obviously you've taken over a great number of the voices that he's responsible for that he created
1: yeah I mean I'm one of several who've done his voices over the years but yeah
2: okay and if I'm not mistaken correct me if I'm wrong you talked about being a Jewish boy doing the voice of Porky Pig
1: yeah so was Mel Blank. so yeah I, I, I guess I guess it runs in the family but do you ever go back to
2: your haftorah and say it in that voice at all?
1: Um, I used to do the the um, the four questions at Passover every year, like Porky Pig, since I was like oh, a little kid. Would you pig. really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about you know, that. Way before nice. I would, we were ever living in L.A. and way before I ever studied voiceover and way before I ever got the part, I, I, I would do that.
2: And no one thought there was anything sacrilegious about a pig?
1: Not, Not my pig. mom. Not my mom. Nope. <laughs> No, in That's fact when, we, when when we moved to LA, um and you know, and my mom was still around, our Passovers were the Who's Who of Voiceover. We used to have Bill Farmer, who was the voice of Goofy, and my friend Billy Hayes, who was Witchy poo on HR Puff and stuff. So it was it was like a, it was like a um uh it was a hot ticket to get to my mom's oh. Passover with all these vo- voiceover people.
2: That is probably something that would have been legendary, I imagine. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I I, one thing I've always wanted to know about when I see credits uh, for you. I saw you have a lot of uh, um, additional voices credits. What does that mean Um, Yeah, what does that mean? Are you just a guy in the background going, watch out for that boulder.
1: So, so years ago, um, you have to understand that animated features were kind of dead Disney might have done one every five to seven years. And then all of a sudden with the Little Mermaid and uh, Beauty and the Beast they became popular again. And back in the old days, there were very small casts because the stories had very few characters. Early, early, early on in the Disney animated features, they didn't even give the, um, the voice actors screen credit. Um, so in the 80s and the 90s, when animation started, right, feature animation started becoming popular again, the stories got uh, a little bit more vast and the cast got larger. So they would hire those of us who could do multiple characters in a single scene, uh, to play multiple characters in a single scene. To give us screen credit for every little character that we played, the end scroll would go on and on and on and on. So we made a deal, we being the Actors and Screen Actors Guild to keep us in the credits and to keep us on the residual list, because that's the most important list, is yeah, the residual list. Sure. They would call us additional voices, and that way, nobody had to keep track of every little squirrel and every little prince and every little whatever. So that's what additional voices actually means. So to go back to your question, does it mean you're just be doing background stuff? Sometimes, sometimes okay. you're you're doing uh, what would be considered a day player, a a, a, a comic relief principal character. Um, I did a film called The Emperor's New Groove where I played a squirrel, but I was hired to do additional voices. And while I was there, um, they said, we'd like you to play the squirrel as well. So, and that squirrel became pretty, I mean, I did, I did that feature uh, a, a straight to video sequel and three years on a series playing that character. So long-winded answer to your question, it literally is a way for us non-celebrities to stay in the credits and be on the residual uh, pool.
2: Okay, but when you say you're a non-celebrity, um, which I would disagree with.
1: <laughs> um, well, I, my, my mom would too, but you know, I, the bottom line is, my name is not Tom Hanks, although I have been right. in a bunch of, of Toy Story movies. Now, I'm, not a, I'm right. not a well-known person. I'm well-known amongst the people who know what we do, but I'm not a well-known celebrity.
2: But something you had talked about the first, when I had heard you and, and Rob, um, and I wanted to get into this later, but I, I feel I'll, I'll spring up now. You talked about the joy that you get when you are at a convention or when you're out and about and somebody recognizes you as the voice of X. And it, could you talk about that at all, about the fan recognition in that way?
1: Well, it, we, did, we honestly never knew anybody knew who we were, let alone watched our product. With the exception of, you know, when we did Saturday morning cartoons in the 80s and 90s when they used to have Saturday morning cartoons, mm-hmm you'd know that your ratings were good or not, or your show was canceled or renewed. But we never really knew if we had an impact with the, um, with the audience until fan conventions. I went to my first San Diego Comic-Con, I think in the early to mid 90s. And it blew me away as I'm walking through the exhibit hall. And it's huge. It's like 17 football fields. It's huge. Yeah. And people are like recognizing me as I walk past them. And they're recognizing me as I walk into the men's room and you know I've got friends who are well-known celebrities and I'm used to people watching them in a restaurant chew and mm-hmm. it's a little it's a little weird it's a little awkward but nobody knows this because I it was I behind the scenes but with the fan conventions and the internet um, and also you know you mentioned Rob Paulson who is one of the sweetest most genuine uh, people I know, let alone one of the most yeah. brilliantly talented people I know, but between me and Rob and 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 Debbie Derryberry and Maurice and Billy, we're all very accessible. Mm-hmm. I mean, when 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 fans reach us, and it's easy to reach anybody via social media or mm-hmm. just our emails might be on our website. Um, we have a connection. We have a personal connection with the fans and the people that that enjoy our content that we never expected, nor did we ever even know could happen. So it's 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 um, on one hand surreal, on the other hand quite nice. Oh,
2: I can imagine it, it it would be. I I I've gone to a few conventions in um, in Washington and I'm originally from Canada, so I would go to them. I was I well. I,
1: heard, I heard your your out in the boat when you said yeah. the second I was like that's that's Canadian. And I yeah, heard there my, you I go. Yeah, around. Around.
2: <laughs> um But I remember, like, I met, um, oh, God, it escapes me right now. uh, Yeah, Carl Weathers. And uh, I started crying because he was Apollo Creed. And that was, you know, so it was such a part of my childhood that I felt silly. But at the same time, and you must get that, though. People must identify with with your characters,
1: with the voices Mm -hmm. you yeah, we'll be at signings at fan conventions and people will stand in line forever. And they come up to you and they're shaking like they're meeting a beetle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, uh, it's there was a part of me that feels incredibly guilty sometimes because, you know, we, we, we sell our autographs at these shows. And you know that some of these kids, some of these people have spent a fortune or saved for, for, mm-hmm. for weeks for this opportunity. And, you know, they want five, 10 minutes of your time. And that's the least I can do because I live in a very nice house because people like my content, like my product. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, um, it's awesome.
2: Have you participated in any, um, like live reads in front of audiences?
1: Sure. Oh yeah. With, um, yeah. Uh, there's one booker who, uh, has us do, I mean, I, I, we've done like, um, I remember one time we read The Princess Bride. and One time we read uh, I think um, Dirty Dancing. But he would cast okay. like the part of uh, of um, of uh, oh gosh I can't remember uh, Patrick Swayze will be played by Porky Pig. You know so okay. so so he casts these films with us, those of us that do these these characters and we do them in our character voices. They're quite fun. Right,
2: and then when you. First, do that Porky Pig voice. The audience must react. I mean, oh yeah, they must,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Evanier uh, uh, moderates a lot of panels at San Diego Comic Con, and um, he will do a a very cold read every year. <clears throat> and um, we did one. Uh, it's it's on YouTube now. Uh, but we did one this year because you know we can't do these conventions live. We did one via right. Zoom. What he does is he passes out the script. He never lets us see it beforehand. And then he tells you who you're playing. And my challenge this year was I was the narrator. And every time he said, said, with every line, I want you to do a different character and a different voice. Okay. And it was a challenge because the narrator, he was the the, the run, the running uh, narrator. And then sometimes he would say switch, switch. And you know, Mark is an animation writer, producer, director, so yeah. that was a challenging but B, also tons of fun.
2: That's wow. what was it? Sorry, what were you reading though? You said you're the narrator, but what was the uh,
1: he wrote a version of I think the Three Little Bears? Oh, okay, you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah. So, but it was his version of it, and uh, it was fun.
2: We, my wife, and I went, god, this is probably 20 some years ago to a live uh, Simpsons
1: read, and go like, what.
2: Simpsons read.
1: Uh huh. Wow. That's fun.
2: Yeah. It was in Montreal. It just for laughs. Oh
1: yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: And when Dan cast, I always get his name. Castellaneta. Dan
1: Homer, Castellaneta. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When he did the first Homer voice, you would have thought Paul McCartney was playing Hey Jude. Like sure. the place went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, you, you, it's all part of our childhood. Right. Um, do you feel like there's a responsibility that you have this, this, uh, image to live up to this,
1: this standard? Um, it's a good question. Yes and no. Um, you know, voice actors have very little control over the content. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one time in my career, I actually walked off a project because I didn't like the way they were portraying or writing for these characters. I'd also happened to have been fired and and walked off on the same day because I was I was questioning the um I mean I'm not a prude but I was questioning some of the more pushing the envelope adult humor and the the Looney Tunes have always been written for adults they, they were never written for kids but this was a little bit too much and um when I get a script If I think that the writing or the way they're they're, they're phrasing something isn't as uh, true to the character, I will always do it as written and then say, hey, can I try one for me? And once I do that, I have no idea which one they're going to put in the final uh, uh, project. But I at least will say, yeah, I I think Porky would say it this way, not that way. For instance, Porky can't stutter on vowels, only consonants
2: oh okay
1: so if 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 they if they write a joke where he's stuttering on something i know i physically can't do it i'll try it their way it's not going to sound very good and then i'll find some other way to do it but my, my responsibility i try to uphold the integrity of the character i've never in my life tried to emulate mel Blanc. i don't think i sound a thing like him i don't think any of us do i think he's an original and, I, and nobody can replace him mm-hmm. but i do my best to uphold the integrity of the character.
2: And you certainly, you've been doing it for how long now, Porky Pig?
1: About 30, a little over 30 years.
2: Wow. Um, now, I think you had gone to social media when this, and we, if you don't want to talk about it, just say, shut up. What's that? Uh, the, the new Scooby-Doo movie that had come out. Mm-hmm. They had removed a lot of the original, or all of the original voices, correct?
1: Uh, except for Frank Walker
2: except for Frank Welker, who's been doing Scooby for-
1: Since Don Messick passed away. So, you know, he wasn't the original. He was the original Fred, but he took over for Scooby when Don Messick passed away.
2: And like, if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. Like, how do you feel about that, that so many people were available, but they went another direction?
1: Well, um, so people have to think like a studio, like the, the, the people that run the studio they want to make money so they're going to think well who can we put in to this project that's going to bring in box office mm-hmm. now logic will tell you that you just alienated your core audience you have just pissed off your core audience who who were looking forward to this who grew up with this personally i get it it's it's called show business for a reason mm-hmm. um if I were in charge, I would find other ways to bring in celebrities. You know, the guy with the mask that you take off, and it's right. really the farm. The farm dude. Um, there, there's other ways to bring in celebrities. But even the people doing the voices on Scooby-Doo, uh, none of them were the originals. They were all recast over the years as the originals passed away.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, or, or just stopped doing the voices, whatever. Um, but I do understand. I understand that they they hire celebrities to play the leads in a feature, and they hire us to do additional voices. Mm-hmm. No, My name is not going to bring in box office. Uh, I do know that, you know, I was very good friends with June Foray, and she was personally very offended that they would hire celebrities because, you know, she built a career doing all right. of this. Right. I get it. I understand. That's ego. That's not you got to take off your actor hat and put on your your producer hat and go, okay, odds are better. If we can get Zac Efron to voice this character, we're going to bring in a bigger audience, perhaps not the core audience, but if the writing is good and the characters are true, we'll bring in an audience. So it doesn't always work. Um, I, to me, if I was in charge, I would want to honor the original, and respect the core audience first, and find a way to bring in the celebrities around them. But I don't run the studio, and they don't ask me.
2: Is there a difference? Um, you've worked with a number of studios, like from mm-hmm. from Pixar and, and Ghibli, and and um, is there a big uh, and dream, uh, SKG DreamWorks? Sorry, I'm. I'm but is there a big difference with uh, how you're dealt with as a voice actor? With, by
1: the um. I, yes and no. I mean, for the most part, the, the work is is identical. Every it's not even, I wouldn't say the studios. I'd say the producers. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, okay, when you work for Pixar, you're 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 working for uh, the A League. I mean, they are uh, so creative. It's such a collaboration. You eat better when you work for Pixar because they got food coming all day long. Okay. Um, I can remember being on, I forget which Pixar film. It might have been Up. And I don't remember if it was, I don't remember who said who was doing it. It might have been doctor. I don't remember. But in the middle of a take, all of a sudden, the producer said, we need ice cream. And he led us all to the commissary and we all got ice cream. Okay. I mean, that's that's Pixar, right? Um, I have worked for, um, other producers at their studios where you don't get that same enthusiasm. Uh, you don't get the same, uh, you, you, you can tell that, that the film they're doing may not necessarily be, um, what they had intended because, you know, when you do an animated feature or anything, you know, as a writer, producer, the the suits have a lot of say. So it may not be what what they wanted to do. Pixar seems to be able to do what they want to do. Um, But the process, for the most part, is pretty much the same. When you work on an animated feature, uh, they have you up to eight hours. Um, Sometimes you've got the other cast members there if you're doing additional voices, and sometimes you're by yourself. Um, I don't have necessarily a, oh my God, I I hate working for them because it's a bitch. It's never a bitch. It's always a blast. But, But there are certain producers that I'm like, I will drive to the studio going, oh, I, I get to work with so-and-so again. Uh, yeah. I loved working with John Lasseter at Pixar. I loved working with uh, Pete Docter. I loved working with um, Lee Unbridge. I mean, there are, and the same thing with television. Uh, I love working with, um, with uh, Seth Green on Robot Chicken. And there are some people, uh, and there's some animation voice directors, like, you know, Christy Reed, Colette Sunderman, um, Maria Estrada, uh, Sue Blue, um, Andrea Romano, these are names that you know, the average if you don't follow cartoons won't know. But these are people who uh, make our world a joy.
2: That's amazing. You you also have in your credits, uh, Fraggle Rock as, as- uh, the cartoon,
1: not the not the puppet. But oh. The, yeah. oh,
2: Okay, so you didn't work with Henson at all.
1: You, oh, sure. I work I, not 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 uh, personally, but the guy produced the show. Okay. Okay. Yeah. what
2: was that like working on Fraggle Rock?
1: Uh, one of the joys of my career. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I, um, it, was, it was only on for one season. Uh, John Semper, Cynthia Freelob, uh were our uh, writers and uh, producers and they made it just so much fun. It was one of my first series. It was the first time I worked with Rob Paulson, uh, Townsend Coleman, Barbara Goodson, Patty Paris, Pat Penny, John Stevenson, who was Animation royalty. He was the voice of Mr. Slate on the Flintstones. Oh. Uh, and just hearing him talk, you're hearing Mr. Slate from the Flintstones. Sort of like you said about Dan Castellaneta. Yeah. When you hear Dan do Homer, you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Well, John's natural voice was Mr. Slate. Okay. And Are so you- I would, ju- I would just say, would you do me a favor? Call me Flintstone and fire me. Flintstone, you're fired. Thank you. My life is good.
2: You made your day.
1: Yeah. So you seem to be
2: um, working with, a, do you work with a regular group of voiceover actors or does it change? Obviously, it, changes, it
1: changes per project. I mean, you know, I'm doing a handful of shows right now where some of the shows, because of COVID, we're recording from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the shows record us solo. So we don't have our fellow cast members there. And then one show I'm working on, uh, the rest of the cast is on Zoom and we can hear each other and see each other and work off of each other. So everything's different. But I would say there's a core of us. There's under probably 200 of us that work all the time. Mm-hmm. We know each other or we know of each other. It's, it's pretty rare for us to, to say, oh, I've never heard of that one. Um, and some of us have been around for 30, 40 years and some are, are coming in brand new. It's hard to get into, but people, you know, get in all the time because they're good.
2: I had a, I was in a um, um... Q&A once with with uh, Anthony Daniels, <clears throat> excuse me, and a woman asked him advice on how to become a voiceover actor. Um, I forget his response. I just listened by camera. What what is your advice to anybody wanting to do this?
1: Uh, the key word there is actor. Okay, you know, nobody cares what your voice sounds like if you can't act. So you know, certainly if you want to do animation, versatility is important. But if you can't act, if you can't make those words come to life, you know, the script is a skeleton, your job is to give it a body. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can't do that, then you're wasting your time. So what I always tell people is look, study acting, study improv, become the best actor you possibly can be and then study voiceover. Because without uh, acting skills under your belt, when you go to a voiceover class, you're not gonna be able to take direction. You're not gonna know character, intent, Uh, You're not gonna be able to make a choice. The difference between a trained actor and a non-trained actor is um, a trained actor makes a choice, a non-trained actor makes a guess. A trained actor has the skills to repeat their acting choices consistently at will. So there are a lot of reasons when you do a take that's perfect where the director might say, oh my God, we gotta do it again. We didn't have your mic up. Give me exactly what you just did. Without skill, without technique, you don't know what exactly is. So if anybody's interested in doing this, study acting, then study voiceover.
2: But then why is it, though, that some actors are just not good voiceover actors?
1: Well, some actors can't do theater. Some actors can't do comedy. Some actors, because I'll tell you why. Tom Hanks put it perfectly. He was on Graham Norton's show. And Graham Norton said, what was it like working on Toy Story? He goes, oh, my God, it's so hard. You're by yourself. You're in a studio. The producers are on the other side of the glass. You do a take and you see these talking heads talking to each other and you don't even hear them because they're not pushing the talk back button and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm terrible, they hate me. Mm -hmm. You don't have your fellow actors to work off of. 80% of animation is in the imagination. I did a show years ago called Duck Dodgers and we had a lot of celebrity guest stars. Many were great with the microphone. Uh, Henry Winkler was outstanding at the microphone. Uh, uh, Ed McMahon was brilliant at the microphone. Uh, uh, makes perfect sense. And then we had a handful of well-known people who couldn't because they're on-camera celebrity actors, not even celebrities, it's on-camera actors, and they rely on that camera for a glance to translate uh, emotion. That's another thing Tom Hanks talked about. He didn't realize as an actor how much he relied on his body to tell story, wherein voiceover, it is all vocally performed. Mm-hmm. So the reason why some actors can't do it is because they need that um, that that camera or that audience to be truthful to themselves as artists. I this week, uh, I'm a member of the Motion Picture Academy, and they did uh, a conversation with Patrick Stewart. and They took questions from us. And my question was, um, since uh, the next generation uh technology has advanced so much in filmmaking how is it different for the for the new series picard and what are your challenges as an actor and he said great question because back in in the, in the 80s with the first series we were working on green screen and we were working with uh, our imagination to actually try to perform with a scene partner that isn't there he said and today we have entire sets that are, that are screen screened not just uh, the yeah. background, but the entire set. So you just have to shift that imagination a little bit more. But he said, but, the truth is, it's no more challenging than doing Shakespeare in a large theater uh, compared to a tiny theater. You shift gears. The words still have to be truthful. The, the actor has to be believable. Uh, and the actor has to believe the words too. So it's a, it's a fascinating, um, it was a fascinating answer, but voiceover is not for everybody. Not everybody knows how to work the microphone. You know, I teach my students that the mic is the ear of your scene partner. Where you are on mic corresponds to where the characters are in the cartoon. When you get an audition, that information isn't on the page. You have to make it up. So the actor who whose instinct is to make those choices and work that mic and not just do a funny voice, reading a a line in a cute character, but actually brings layers of personality, depth of character, choice in story. Those are the ones who stand out, get the call back, and continue to work. But that's the cream floats to the top. Whether you're a voice actor or a dancer or a sculptor, talent floats to the top.
2: You're, as we're talking, you're very animated. I see the hands moving and everything. Is that when you're voicing, you're doing that as well to get? Absolutely.
1: The yeah, uh, I always teach my students, if you physically play the character, the voice will follow. I call it mm-hmm. conducting yourself with, with every story point, with every um, adjustment, you know? Uh, if you're doing a scene, like let's say it's a, it's a Marvel superhero type of cartoon, and I played uh, Winter Soldier, or some of the Marvel franchise uh, uh, Avengers things, and you're doing. I'm doing a tug of war with Captain America. I, I can get up to the mic and go, yeah. but it's going to be a little bit more uh, authentic if I. Yeah. So that and now the hard part is you got to stay on mic. That's the that's the technical challenge. Is you've got to stay on mic. But if you don't use your body, you're just making sounds.
2: Did you ever do radio?
1: Uh-uh. With the exception of with the exception of radio imaging, which is being the yeah. um, the uh, branding voice of a station,
2: sure.
1: I've yeah. done quite a bit of that, but I've never done like you know DJ or that sort of thing. No. Yeah.
2: No. I have. I, I was in radio for a number of years as a commercial writer, mm-hmm. and um, um, I have a good, a, good a friend of mine is, does imaging. So yeah, I, it's amazing because once when you're told you're doing like a, a rock station you're obviously going to be different than yeah. a
1: soft rock station. Yeah. Well, I've got, I did, I've done uh, oldies. I've done pop. I've done best of the eighties. I've done the Jack FM. Um, oh, sure. And, and you adjust to the, to the at to, uh, one time I was, I was Joe FM was the one I was doing Joe FM, the eighties, nineties, whatever, as opposed to it's the best of the eighties. So, yeah. so it's, it's like, it's like anything you just shift who you are. But I got a call to, um, there was a country station that wanted a Joe FM sort of vibe for country. But okay. they didn't want people to put on the accent. They wanted authentic. So I said to my agent, well, I'm not, I'm not Southern. And my agent said, yeah, just fake it. So, so I did my audition, like, like Joe FM, the 80s, 90s, whatever, just did it like that. And I got the job. But I slated myself, how you doing? This is Bob Bergen. And I just get the state and character the whole thing. And my phone rang. I got the job. My phone rang. I said, hello. And he says, hey, this is Bob. Yeah. Hey, Bob, this is Rory from WW Whatever. I went, oh, hey, Rory, how you doing? And he goes, no, no, I, I, know, you, I know you put it on. I said, oh, you can tell I put it on. He goes, well, hell, my dog could tell you put it on. But... You know, we got the internet. I could do a little research and I was like, oh, he's the guy that does the cartoon. He because I listen to all your demos. You sound nothing like this. I said, why'd you hire me then? Just out of curiosity. And he said, because you put it on pretty well You're playing this character. We want to brand this character, but well, you could also be Santa Claus for Christmas. You could be a leprechaun for St. Patrick's day. You could be uncle Sam for the 4th of July. I'm gonna utilize those character voices of yours. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. so. This goes back to uh, what does a voice actor need to do? What does an actor need to do to stay relevant? You got to take risks. And I took a risk pretending to be a Southern guy when they told me not to. Because worst case scenario, I don't get the job. Best case scenario, I might get a job.
2: Right, and it paid off. And you are Emmy nominated, correct? Uh, Three times. Yeah. I thought you'd put on your social media your Emmy masks
1: that you uh, were given. Well, because I'm also on the Board of Governors at the TV Academy. Okay. And they, they sent us those Emmy masks uh, as a little just gift. Because uh, we're working on the Primetime Emmys right now. All next week is the uh, Creative Arts. And then on the 20th is on ABC is the uh, Primetime Emmys with Jimmy Kimmel. So, um, yeah, they gave us those masks. So I just put them on social media to promote.
2: Yeah, it should be interesting to see how this is going to come together. Like all other well, things now. you
1: know, other other shows have done it. Um, they've been doing. It's sort of like reinventing television. Is it? It reminds me of what it was like, probably in the '40s, when they were like, "Here is this new industry called TV, and there were no rules." So the talk shows have been doing it. They're starting to slowly go into audiences now in their studios, but by golly. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel and his crew, I think, are going to have a terrific show and I look forward to it.
2: That's fantastic. Um, I do want to ask you quickly and then I'll let you go because you probably have a hundred other things to be doing in Los Angeles today. Um, when you worked with the Minions as additional voices, did you learn the Minion language?
1: No, because I didn't do those voices. The producer okay. does all those characters. Okay. He, he's the voice of all the Minions, so I never, I never actually played those characters.
2: Have you had to learn a new language at all for, uh, for any of your roles?
1: Great question. Yes. I did the pilot for a science fiction show. And I don't remember what it was. And then I, we created a language for these characters in the pilot and then they hired other actors to take over mm-hmm. what we created. And I don't remember what that show was. Um, I have done, like when I did Bucky the Squirrel for the Emperor's New Group, I had to create squirrel language, which right. <laughs> it wasn't English, but they, they wanted him to convey story. Um, and I've done games where we've had to be, to phonetically, uh, read in some language. Um, but I can't, I wish I could remember what that series was. It wasn't Stargate. It wasn't Deep Space Nine. But it was around that same time as Deep Space Nine. I don't remember, but I just remember being on that stage for days, creating language. And, and you were part if,
2: of the team that created the language.
1: Well, I was part of the actors, working with the producers and the writers, as we were trying to come up with dialogue for these alien creatures. And, and I, I, I wish I could be more uh, specific about what it was and what the language was. But I do remember being really pissed off when um, the show was picked up and they didn't use us. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's happened a few times. There was a show with Jerry O'Connell back, I think, in the 90s on Fox, where he was like a time traveler. And I don't remember, really because with an S.
2: It wasn't Stargate. No no, oh.
1: no, 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 um, no. I want to say Splinter, or your your people watching this will know. Anyway, he had a cat. Okay. In in the pilot, and I was the voice of the cat, and I kind of thought, well, maybe the cat's going to travel with him, and I'm going to have a job. No, the, he, the cat stayed put, oh. and I was. And, and so when this, when the show went to series, um, I was pissed. I was like, that cat should have gone through that little For sure. wormhole with him.
2: Little time traveling cat. Right? Yeah. Well, Sherman and Peabody, right?
1: Sliders. That's Sliders. Okay, Sliders. I remember
2: that. Um, okay, so if you don't want it, it's fine. Can you give me a taste of Porky Pig doing uh, the four
1: questions? Oh, well, I did it in English because I'm a bad Jew. I don't know the Hebrew. Okay. It, it'll be, it'll be, why is this maybe a, a different from all other in, in, in the evenings? On weather nights, we eat unleavened, we eat unleavened, we eat rye bread. Why do we eat this rye crap?
2: Thank you very much. To all
1: the Jews I offended, I apologize.
2: No, not at all. I don't think you did. Well, I wish you a very sweet new year.
1: Thank you. You too.
2: Thank you. And I really appreciate you doing
0: this. It was a lot of fun.
2: Oh, my pleasure, my friend. It was fun. Thank you. It was great meeting you. Take care.
1: Take care,
0: buddy. Bye. Bye. I apologize if there was any, uh, audio cutting in and out, uh, at points in, in, uh, in that. Um, but overall it was just super. He was, you know, like a real, uh, as we say, mensch, a real mensch. Um, I loved the bit where he talked about, uh, doing the dirty dancing, uh, as Porky Pig as Patrick Swayze character. I never saw dirty dancing, but I love that part. Um, and I also loved, you know, the idea of his Seder being with all of his voiceover friends—just madness. I could only imagine. Anyway, uh, that's it for today. I'm gonna have a new one up in two weeks. I want to thank everybody for for listening to this. Uh, the podcast is called Too Lazy to Write, and I'm the real John Baker. You can find me on Facebook. We're probably friends. If not, send me a friend request. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at the real John Baker. And, um, once again, you can find out more about, uh, Bob on his website, bobbergen.com. And, uh, like I said in the, at the very beginning, i had heard him on, um, Gilbert Creed's Amazing Colossal Podcast, and he, you know, was so generous. It took a while to set this up, but we, we, we made it happen and I'm glad we did. So thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget register to vote November 3rd. It's coming up quick and we've got to get that orange monster out. Um, take care of yourselves, be healthy, be safe, happy new year, have an easy fast, et cetera, et cetera. And I will talk to you soon. Take care.
1: Too lazy to write where anything can happen And everyone is welcome with the real job